Hello and welcome to episode 21 of That 60s Recording Podcast, the podcast that has conversations inspired by the golden era of recording. I um, hope you've all had a fantastic couple of weeks and this week we are continuing this short and sweet conversation with legendary producer Shell Talmy. Um talks a little bit more about working at Decca and um, has some really interesting sort of nuggets of information about uh, generally producing and how uh, his thoughts on the music industry um, and also some listening recommendations uh, which I will talk to you a little bit more about at the end. I don't think there's any more sort of parish notices so I'm gonna dive straight in so here we go Shell Tell Me part two. Um, what was what was working at Decca like? Um, sort of in comparison to your experiences at, at Conway, how how was it moving into? What- well, it was a, a totally different situation. I mean, I grew up in it. They, their studios were uh, way apart from um, where the uh, the offices were. The offices were, you know, I, I forget the somewhere. Near the river, and the studios are in um, West Hampstead. So you know, uh, I said you can check in every now and then, go to the offices, but that that was it. There was uh, uh, nothing. I I didn't have an office or anything like that. I wasn't required to be there. Hello. Oh, there? sorry. Yeah, I'm there. <laughs> it just it, it petered down a little bit. Sorry. Okay. So, um, and then in terms of uh, practically. For uh, yeah, I'm thinking more like it on the recording side of things. Did was did they? How did sort of the the gear there differ from what your what you'd used before? Like what you exactly the same, almost exactly the same. Um, uh, that that's something I think that wound up being IBC turned out to be my my favorite studio because of the fact they were uh, the most ahead of. Uh, tech stuff of what was happening, and they also built a lot of their own things. So it's, they were they were better than others. But generally speaking, tape machines were the same, and um, and boards were the same, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and and you know, it was just um, it may have been different brands, but it was not the same thing. So that was so you started there in '62, and then in '63 is when you recorded. You really got me, which then led on to you working with The Who because they were impressed with the sound on that record a couple of years later right. that came about. How, what, what's the? Would you mind filling in the gaps of, of that little story there? Uh, uh, fill in the gaps? Yeah, so not fill in the gaps. I mean, just uh, expand on, on that. So you, you worked with The Kinks in 63 and then how did, yeah. how okay, did it come well, about? First, that? My, my first hit was with The Bachelors, by the way. Yes, that's uh, right, yeah. Uh, and uh, and I've done some other anyways I, the kinks um, as you've as you said as the the uh, the who were impressed with what I did with the kinks I was contacted by a lady who uh, rather a lady who was working part time for me was uh, asked by their their then manager who was Kit Lambert who turned out to be one of my Worst people I've ever met in my life. Uh, uh, 
is that uh, deal? Would I come down and, and uh, see the band who are playing at a church hall? And I said, Yeah, sure. I'm not, I'm out. Uh, you know, I'm out looking for talent. And it it didn't. It took me virtually any time. But always, when they started playing, I said, Fine, I will sign them because they were obviously terrific and probably the best hard rock or rock and roll band I heard because the Kinks uh, obviously did other things that the Who did not do. They were more, uh, Gray was much more a, almost a spokesman for the English way of life and stuff like that. That was not the Who. So um, they were, I thought, the best rock band I'd heard since, uh, since I'd arrived in, uh, in uh, London. I I love the idea of you going to watch them in a sort of church hall or village hall and and yeah. that being the first place you saw them and then obviously they went on to have a huge career and you you sort of it, it's it feels like a fairy tale like plucked them out of a, a tiny situation. Well, I uh, I'm not about plucking. But... <laughs> <laughs> the wrong, the wrong uh, word to use, maybe. <laughs> uh, they were. I thought an extremely good band, and I thought, yes, I could definitely work with these guys, and I did absolutely expect to have hits, and in fact, I never produced anything with them but a hit. So uh, uh, my belief was turned out to be accurate. So this was um, around 1965, um, that the My Generation album was recorded, and in that same year, you ended up setting up Planet Records, is that that correct? Right. Um, yes. So you you clearly have a an enormously strong work ethic and a bit of an entre- entrepreneurial streak of of just wanting to to find ways to do things. What what? You know, um, I, I thought I was wound up. I mean, in retrospect, I was I had not realized how many hours I was working. But I now have I acquired an historian who was who was also the custodian of my tapes and things like that. And he knows way more about what I've done than I know what I've done. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm astonished at how much I actually did. So, um, yeah, I guess I was, I stuck to it. Yeah, I was, I, I was into it and I wanted us to do it properly. What led to you setting the label up? Why did you decide that's something you needed to do? Well, I, because I, because people were doing it. Andrew Olam had done it. I thought, I could do it, and um, and to, in in some ways it was uh, the right thing to do. The, the, in the bad way was that I I did it with Phillips, which uh, was a total disaster, and, <laughs> and, and why I closed the the label down because they absolutely did nothing. So, um, you uh, one of the bands that you did work with, um, the Creation, are obviously quite a, a well known cult band now. Well. Well, the creation, uh, which I've said in many interviews, was uh, the band that should have been superstars, and uh, I could not keep them from breaking up. I had just made a deal for them with Atlantic that would have been huge. This is already this is after they were just having uh, major records all over Europe. And they broke up, and uh, consequently, all they they become is a cult band, unfortunately, as opposed to the superstars they should have been. Mm. What what was it about them 
that you thought was particularly? I mean, I know you've described in interviews that they're well, your Dan most important Britt, work. Excellent music. Eddie Phillips is, I think, in my opinion, the best unknown guitarist that's, that's ever been in in, in England. Um, there's still tons of people who have no idea who he is. He, he invented using the violin bow. Um, he did all. He is a brilliant guitar. He's still out there, and he's still working, and he's still doing that stuff. Uh, and uh, and between he and uh, uh, Kenny Pickett, they wrote they wrote some great songs. That was the other point: is is material. Uh, I was always extremely cognizant of what kind of songs that these people write. And I, and I was fortunate enough to have. The Kinks and the Who and the Creation, all of whom were had terrific writers. I, I, that is, um, it's something that comes up often. Is the the songs and you know, obviously, the songs have to be extremely strong. And um, with that in mind, I, I'm really, I'm very conscious that I'm picking up on your, uh, you know, real sort of signposts act, acts that you've worked with. But obviously, you, you have a history with David Bowie before he or Bowie, depending on how you want to pronounce it. No, I call him David Bowie, and he and um, uh, he really was David Jones, as you know. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, no, he's another one who, who who's writing. I thought really good stuff, and I thought he was going to be a superstar, and of course he became one. Unfortunately, we were about five or six years ahead of the market. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so you. You moved out of uh, so sorry. You worked. You worked with Decca when you were hu- originally hired by Decca. Were, were you hired as an independent producer or? Uh, that's uh, one of my brash things. When I walked in, I said to, to Dick, "I said, by the way, uh, I'm an independent producer, which means that I get royalties because at that point in time, no producer uh, in England was getting royalties or strictly on a weekly salary." Okay. And uh, and Dick, who was very pro-American, got it, and he said, "Okay, we'll do that." So um, that that's what it does. That was part of you know what I uh, did when I walked in because I didn't care that I wasn't going to be there. But of course, I wound up being there. <laughs> <laughs> did it? Um, so obviously, apart from uh, sort of royalty side of things, did it mean that you got more choice in in who you worked with, or did it? Uh, well, I got a choice of who I worked with, not initially. I was given various people. I was given people like The Bachelors and Clodagh Rogers and uh, you know, a couple others. And um, and then, they, of course, they wanted me to bring, to see if I could bring people in, which is which is how I got turned off the decade, because I brought them both, Georgie Thame and Manfred Mann, and they turned them both down on me. <laughs> I thought, I think it's time for me to become an independent producer like I said I was. Uh, I, I mean, that, uh, <laughs> that was exactly where I was leading to next about you moving on to, to sort of being independent. And that meant that you could presumably use other studios and... and... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. Um, I, I, I didn't even bother taking uh, trying to take the kinks uh, into deck. I went straight to Pine. Ah, okay. Um so you must have had a bit of a, a, well, <laughs> certainly sounds like you've had a turbulent relationship with sort of management and people who aren't involved directly in music making. And I guess that's the same in, in the Decca situation as well, is it? 
Yeah, pretty much. I, uh, yeah, albeit that then I, I am bound to say that there were more music people actually working at labels as opposed to now where there are no music people working at labels. So. <laughs> well, yes. Um, so sort of towards the end of the 60s, you must have been flooded with requests for, of people trying to work with you. I mean, what was, how, I mean, and I've also read that you started them moving into film music, which I, I suppose now is, is that linked back to what you were doing before you even did yeah, music? Uh, of course, yeah, sure. I had a connection. I liked doing film music and we, you know, we did a few things and I'd like to have done more, but um, it didn't work out like that. Uh, but you know, yeah, I did, I did uh, several things with, with films and, um, and that was fun. And uh, of course the, the creation uh, I then you know started licensing and creation stuff has been a whole bunch of films as well as commercials. So that's um, something I took from. I, I listened to them uh, a fair bit through for the research for this interview, and that's something I took from them. Is it's very um, not cinematic in like a you know John Williams sort of <laughs> sense, but this, right. you can definitely hear. Uh, you can hear in, in in the the pictures in in sort of what they're singing or you know in the, the style of the music that it is is something I took so I'm not surprised to hear that to be honest. Mm. Okay, well good. I picked up on it. Um, I wonder. I've I've actually just I've I've said painting sort of pictures there in in my in sort of your head and I wonder if I think it was um, Jeff Emmerich uh, described his style of. Um, production if you like as as painting a picture what was when you were working with an artist how how would you describe your um, sort of outlook on it well I, I think painting a picture picture is not totally out of where I suppose all of us who produce do uh, I've apparently got a knack which I because I've talked to other producers about it and uh, so some claim they do. I'm not sure how many actually do. I can. I've always been able to hear in my head what I thought the finished product should sound like, and so I was working towards that. And uh, that that's kind of how I was operating. I mean, uh, with uh, with uh, differences here in that it's it that wasn't um, cast in cement. I was lots more flexible than that, but I had an idea uh, of where the thing should wind, uh, wind up sounding like. And uh, I, I worked toward that unless uh, things occurred to me if I was in the studio or, you know, we at least took a, a, a left turn or a right turn or something, did something else. But uh, yeah, I, think, I think every producer has to have some... Um, idea of, of what they want to want what, what they want they want to wind up with otherwise there's no point in it <laughs> well yeah absolutely so then so you were so you're almost hearing a you know an artist brings you a brings you a song and and it's a bare bones and you you can you're hearing an, a, an arrangement and sort of in yeah, your head sure. at that at that point, or and also going with it as it progresses and and taking influence from what happens along no, that process. I, I think it pretty much happens from the get go. If I hear a, a song I really like that I want to record, I'm pretty I'm pretty much already processing uh, an arrangement and 
how I think it's going to sound like finished, you know, when I finish mixing and all that kind of stuff and what has to go into it, including other instruments or backing vocals or whatever. I mean, all that seems to be part of it, of the, of the whole, and I'm looking towards the whole, even though I only I have parts to work with at that point in time. It's, it's just, it's really interesting hearing, um, well, just just hearing the um, it's almost behind the scenes of of how how you go about doing something. I mean, there's um, I I one of the things that I guess differs from the the sort of early and middle of the sixties towards the end of the sixties is that um, and you can obviously correct me on this is that studio time it seems to get longer. So the sort of restricted versions of studios seem to to not happen so much towards the end of the 60s and rather than going into the studio with an arrangement already planned and rehearsed you have time in the studio to to spend on well well, you're you're talking about something that i have had discussions with numerous people numerous times so i'll reiterate in that in the 60s if you were a really good band you would be able to do at least four tracks during a three-hour session. Uh, if you were a lousy band, then uh, you were incapable of even getting close to doing that. And then it did a 180 and the reverse happened. So the more time you took, if you took months to do something, you were really cool. Not for me, but uh, that's how some of the bands sold themselves and managed to uh, get the labels to go along with it, you know, and I guess good luck to them. I don't think it improved the music. It's, a, it's, an, it's an interesting way to think about it. I quite like that, um, that the way that you've just described it then. Um, do you think that it was, well, actually, moving, I think um, I was going to ask a question that you already answered in your answer. What um, Did you have a, a particular favourite band that you enjoyed working with more than any other? I, I've had several favorite bands. I mean, I, 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 all the ones we've already mentioned, uh, I, I enjoyed working with a lot. You know, with uh, I said probably with the exception of Manfred Man, which I've mentioned. <laughs> uh, but the Pentangle were, were brilliant to work with because they were, every one of them was uh, top of their particular, particular instrument or, or vocal, as the case may be. And uh, that that was great fun to to do. I enjoyed that a lot. The creation were were one of my favorites to work with because of all the reasons everybody gave me. Um, And you know, there there certainly have been others. Uh, If I have to sit down and think about it, I I don't know. I uh, hang on. It's a spam call. I'm going to just hang it up. Okay. Um, yeah, there, there, there certainly have been others. I mean, hell, you've seen my discography. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you could probably suss it out for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic answer. I think you're absolutely, you're probably right. I probably could, yeah. Um, okay, yeah. so um, just finally, what um, do you have a, a piece of advice that you were given or that you enjoy passing on that you think would be uh, appropriate for for sort of budding producers, if you like. Well, I, 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 if, uh, 
let me let me let me gather myself here and see how I can say this properly. <laughs> uh, I think one of the major pieces of advice I can give anybody who wants to be a producer or an artist for that matter is that they should be totally aware of their own capabilities and not try and fool themselves. If, uh, 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 I mean, we've all known, I'm sure you have also, there have been singers, so-called singers, who couldn't sing a note to save their lives, but thought they were brilliant. Um, and so they're kidding themselves. Uh, I think that's one of the major things is that you got to know what you can do well and what you can't do well. And that that's the best advice I could give anybody. If, uh, if you stick to that kind of situation, then you're, you will come out with good things. I, I think that's a, a really unique piece of advice, and it's probably something that is often overlooked. And um, I guess people are frightened, well, fright on both sides. So if you're the person that you're, you're referring to then, you're frightened to admit it to yourself that you can't do something. And if you're uh, maybe an inexperienced producer that's working with an artist and that's happening, then you're perhaps frightened to, to um, address it with them. Okay, well, I'm sorry, but I hate to disappoint you, except that I've never been frightened about that, because I think I've always known what I could do well, what I can't do well. So uh, <laughs> uh, the, the people that, that kid themselves, I, I don't really have a tremendous amount of respect for. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, I guess rightly so. Um, okay, so uh, just um, uh, sort of finally to wrap things up, I... I know that uh, we spoke about this before um before I'm actually going to start the, the the sort of podcast before I did my intro but you're documenting your career on Facebook with some really well written uh I don't know what you'd call them sort of anecdotes uh and that's happening weekly or every so often um is that what's keeping you busy most of the time nowadays yes i've um yeah i started i i thought it was time the reason why i got into this is because of the fact that, uh, A, because I'm bored, and secondly, because I can't get in the studio when I want to because of the pandemic, and thirdly, because I decided that uh, it's probably a good idea uh, to in reintroduce myself to a whole bunch of people who probably thought I was dead. So, uh, <laughs> Uh, and I, and I, I chose to do this because, um, I thought that's something I can do. I mean, my memory is still working pretty damn good. And, um, I can, I, there's a lot of stories because there always is a lot of stories. <laughs> I've been at it. So I started doing it and, and I actually am thoroughly enjoying it. And thanks for saying that there, that the writing is good. I'm pleased about that. It's good. Oh yeah. It's, they're really enjoyable reads and, um, it makes, uh, I mean, to be honest, it makes a change when, when you're scrolling down your phone looking at absolute rubbish and you see something like that that comes up where it actually is, is really good and really not lovely piece of information to read. It makes makes my day when I see it. Good. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's been fun. And I'm actually I'm doing the weekly you know major thing. And I'm also I'm also started doing smaller bits during the week that uh, probably won't fit into a, a a major article like I'm doing on a weekly basis. And in any event, it gives me a, a chance to talk about uh, 
fans that or artists that should have made it that didn't because you know that's uh, I, I didn't I wouldn't want to do that necessarily for a, a whole you know article on a weekly basis. So it's um, it's given me more latitude and flexibility. So that's what I've been doing. Oh, cool. Um, is there I guess is is there potential for a book to come out of any of this at some point? Well, it, you know, I, I like anybody who's been around as long as I have and have had hits have been asked, when, when am I going to write a book? And I always, I've always said, and because I truly believe it, I, I do not, I've never thought that what I think all the stuff I've done was worthy of a book. I didn't think it was interesting enough. I still don't. However, um, what I'm doing now, doing these vignettes, I think are collectible into a book, and that's what I'm hoping will happen. <clears throat> okay, I think that's a really uh, that would make for a really interesting read. You know, the sort of uh, tidbits that yeah. you particularly remember. I think that's really cool. Right. <clears throat> well, yeah, exactly. If somebody, if there's a publisher out there who's interested, and they want to, they'll probably put them in sort of the, you know chrono chronological order, and uh, which is fine. You know, I'm. I'm keeping at it. I will <clears throat> continue to do this until I run out of stories. And at this point in time, I don't think I will. But <laughs> who knows? Um, one final question, and I, uh, I'm, I'm kind of a bit nervous to ask it. But do you, uh, are you listening to any music now, or what do you listen to, or does anything excite oh, musically oh, now? Oh, no, I listen to music all the time, including I am keeping up with. Uh, some of the, uh, in fact, not some, but a lot of what's happening currently, most of which I find unlistenable to. <laughs> but um, there is a rays of sunshine coming up. I mean, uh, there is a, hell, there's a couple of artists I just listened to this morning who both are doing music in a way. One, one is uh, uh, Jacob Collier, who's just got his... Uh, his album is going to be, uh, I think, was is nominated for album of the year. Mm. And uh, there's a, te a Texas duo called Black Puma, who I like, I liked a lot. They're they're doing music, and uh, I think it all started. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> excuse me, it's all started a few months ago with um, uh, Billy Eilish's brother, who. I think's produced some really good stuff and he's doing music, which is great. And of course, this industry being a copycat industry, lots of people have started copying doing music. So I'm pleased to hear that. <laughs> Again, a, a really nice way of putting <laughs> putting what's happening in the industry right now. I think that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I, I don't actually know about uh, Black Puma, so I'll check them out. Um, but yeah, I know Jacob Collier is unbelievable. Yeah. No, he's, I, I, I really like what he's, he's done something new with jazz. Um, mainly jazz with and with American songbook type stuff, and um, uh, I think he's done a hell of a good job. I I, I agree, I, and he's I mean, he's just such a talented guy. He seems to be able to turn his hand to any instrument. It's um, unbelievable. Well, this is another thing. Since he's apparently a, a multi instrumentalist uh, and, and apparently good at, at, at all of them, and I, I'm assuming he's also a good engineer because he's got his own home studio. Um, uh, this this is what's happening today, of course, is that uh, you can't just be an artist. You really pretty much have to be as technical as, as an engineer in, in many cases. So um, I think that helps enormously.
I, I think it does. Uh, something that's come up um, quite a bit on the podcast is how I think people can become overwhelmed these days with the amount of, um, say, plugins or gear or whatever that's available to them. And you, you talk back to you talked about the 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 studio gear that you were using sort of back in the early '60s as being relatively primitive, but in a in a it way, was. yeah. No, I've always kept up with with the tech. I'm. I'm I think, uh, I, I mean, yes, I could sit down and do digital stuff today. I'm well aware of the, all the plugins and how to use them and all that kind of stuff. And, and I have a, an engineer who is really good. And, <clears throat> and since he's a hell of a lot younger than I am, he, he's been more well acquainted with it than I am. So, <laughs> but uh, uh, no, he's, uh, he's good. It's, it's been fun working with him. And um, uh, we, we use... A combination of my old techniques, which he knows nothing about or knew nothing about, and his new techniques, and we've come up with some good stuff. Oh, cool! Well, it um, it sounds like it's uh, it's working well. Have you got um, is there projects that you uh, are working on at the moment, or potentially will be working on, or is well, there anything? Well, that you've I done would that? be working on them if I was capable of working on them. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I do not want to do projects by Zoom. I tried it and. It's uh, it's a pain in the ass, quite frankly, and and I don't think it's particularly fruitful. Yes, you can get stuff out of it, but it's not like being together in the studio, and I really don't want to do that. So in any event, there's virtually no labels that uh, are doing anything in the way of uh, releases with with uh, uh, with uh, programs for for PR and for promotion and all that kind of stuff. So there's hardly any point of doing anything. I mean, you know, uh, unless you, you're uh, pointed at, at a specific uh, audience, you know, like teeny boppers or, you know, or hip hoppers or whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. you know, which is not something I particularly want to do. No, well, it's yes. <laughs> yeah, that exactly. And I, well, hopefully you'll you'll be able to get back into the physical studio soon when all well, of this dies down. I'm looking forward to that. And I think I said music is coming back apparently. And uh, so, which will suit me fine. <clears throat> <laughs> well, that's, a, I think that's a, a quite a nice positive note to end on. I appreciate you taking the time to speak to me. It's okay, Joe. It's nice to be able to actually got together for a change. (laughs) (laughs) So there we have it. Shell Tell Me. I really hope that you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. I'm really grateful uh, for Shell to uh, give me his time, especially after, as you'll know from the first episode, I, uh, I got my time differences wrong. I mean, listen, I'm a drummer. I can only count to four. My maths isn't my strong point. Um, so anyway, yeah, he was really gracious in that and uh, and let me speak to him again. And it was really useful. And something that, uh, a quality that I really admire in these sort of old school producers, if you like, is they are really honed in on what they're about and that's it. I think that's a really sort of key key lesson to anybody who's listening to this who's involved in in music um or you know looking to be more involved in music um and it was a big turning point for me as well that suddenly when you learn to accept who you are and what you like within music and what you do best that's suddenly when the sort of gates start to open and everything 
um <laughs> sort of like that proverbial thing of where everything starts filling with color and and it all takes off and shell is a great example of somebody who knows his mind and is forthright in his opinions but is at the same time extremely personable and understands the dynamics between people but ultimately musically he knows his mind and is confident with who he is and what he does and what he's about um and i just that's a, a you know a quality that seems to be prominent in every single one of the uh, producers that I speak to. Um, so yeah, I thought that was worth pointing out. Um, also, should, uh, I should also note that I am in love with Black Pumas. They're absolutely amazing. I would love to to get one of those guys to come and chat to me or who I need to find out who produced their records because it's proper, proper old school way of doing things. You can hear the um, you can hear how it was all put together. I hesitated there because I was listening to an interview with a, a producer called Dave Cobb, who hopefully you're all aware of. He's uh, worked on a lot of country music, but is very old school in the way that he does things. And he was chatting to Rick Rubin. And one of the things that he said he likes about music is he likes the rough edges. And I love that. Absolutely love that. Um, the rough edges is is it and um, black pumas have rough edges so yeah go and check those guys out and um, not to be confused with black puma who is a reggae group and only has about two singles out but i did end up listening to them for a bit and thinking uh, i'm not sure <laughs> anyway yes black pumas so next episode i'm chatting with simon trout who is the owner and chief engineer i suppose of a uh, soup studios which is a studio located on a massive red boat uh, just near the Millennium Dome in the centre of London. Uh, the Millennium Dome. Do people call it that anymore? It's called the O2 Arena, I think it is called now. Um, and again, Simon's somebody that I came across on uh, Instagram and we chatted on the phone a few times and his attitude towards recording is perfect for this podcast and I have no doubt that you are going to love that conversation. So look out for that. Um, as usual, you can get in touch with me through my website, which is allyouneedisdrums.com. My email address is joe at allyouneedisdrums.com. Um, I'm on Instagram at allyouneedisdrums. And that just leaves me to say thank you to Joe Kane for the brilliant intro and outro music he supplied me with. And my good friend David Henshaw for the artwork that he supplies for me every two weeks. And so have a absolutely fantastic fortnight and I will be back in two weeks time. Goodbye.